In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Words from the Gospel of St. John. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Words from the Epistle of First Peter. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. One of the many things about which the coronation of yesterday prompted thought was that of vocation, calling. For there was a very particular sense in which a multi-layered understanding of vocation lay beneath the remarkable rite that we saw unfold to such powerful effect. In what is still, despite the many cuts now made, one of the most complex liturgies of the Western Church, going back at least a thousand years, passed through 40 monarchs, and with roots, as we will see very shortly, going back thousands of years earlier at the anointing. But let us go back to that sense of calling and vocation that was clearly central to key moments such as the anointing, as giving expression to a very big concept, which has always meant an enormous amount to the sovereign thus anointed, but has wider meaning as well. We are all familiar with the notion of the call of Abraham, for example, which shows you at once how far back we can go, as well as the call of the people of Israel. We are also fairly familiar with the special call of the apostles or disciples by Christ, and beyond that, the wider call to all Christians, in the sense that we together comprise the assembly of the called, described as such by St. Paul. But then again, there's a yet more universal sense in which we all, as human beings, have a calling, a vocation, which is to be a particular individual human being. That is why everyone actually has a vocation, if we think clearly, not just religious folks. Who and what we become is determined by the use we make of the resources available to us and how we respond to the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Looked at another way, this means that all aspects of our lives and all our endowments are part at once of the gift we have and of the task that we have in living our lives at all times. But we do well to recall that the biblical vision of the human community as a whole in the history of salvation goes back, as I pointed out, at least to Abraham through the people of Israel. Though he was, too, we do well to remember, a figure central in history to all the so-called peoples of the book, which is to say not only Jews and Christians, but also Muslims. But for us as Christians, there is summed up in Jesus Christ and embodied in his presence in the world 
through the people of God, which is to say the church, the ultimate and total call of mankind to be human most fully, which is to say that which God first and ultimately created us to be, which is in particular a way to be humans made in the image of God as children of God the Father. All this means that we can see ourselves as people of God in the widest sense, that can, I think, be deeply meaningful across even the very real differences that divide us from other so-called peoples of the book at one level, wherein these, there is a vocational structure to our very existence, something which allows us to see or understand nothing less in the end than something profound about the human condition. This is all part of the telos, the end of the Christian vision. Yet we as Christians go beyond, as I say, this basic shared deep claim. For us, first, as it were, broke forth in Abraham and the people of Israel, that which broke forth comes to its fullness and fruition in Jesus Christ. Theological reflection allows us next to see in the church which is the people of God, and more particularly the followers of Christ through time, imbued with the life-giving Holy Spirit, the concrete expression of God the Father's call to us all to realize our humanity in relation to God. And this is something we understand ourselves as uniquely able to do through his Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, as Christians. That is part of the specificity of what it means to be a Christian, the uniqueness of our vision, which also makes us quite distinct, therefore, from the other faith traditions and those, of course, who have none. Looked at in another way, the Church can be seen as having a sacramental character, as the sign of God's activity within this world of our present experience, calling us to himself. All of that, as I say, has large implications. On the one hand, it does point to something that we can only come fully to understand and enjoy in the life of the world to come, which is to say in the eschaton. But on the other hand, there is a present aspect of coming to realization here and now for it implies, too, that we are called within the present structures of human life to be part of a particular group within and through which the unique call of Christ comes to expression in this world. In other words, the call which was manifest in Christ is now manifest and worked out through the presence of Christ in his visible church throughout the world. Thus, what we call the visible church is essential in order for the world to achieve authentic self-understanding. But now, let's go back to the coronation and that anointing. The anthem, Zadok the Priest, is one of the great choral works by George Frederick Handel, who is, of course, celebrated, as I pointed out before, former uh, member of the congregation at St. George's Hanover Square, and it's one of his four coronation anthems, setting words from the text from First Kings. The words tell of the anointing of Solomon. 
thus placing in a very particular context the liturgical anointing which happens in an English coronation, as we saw yesterday at the coronation of King Charles, or more accurately, did not see because of the screens that were brought around him to make sure we did not see this most sacred moment, thus preserving the element of mystery so fundamental, I would say, to monarchy. As in the case of the priest Zadok, the Archbishop of Canterbury anoints the new king before his crown, symbolizing God's calling of the king to his role in the state as sovereign and also supreme governor in the Church of England. Part of the reason why English monarchs have come to see this particular part of the whole ceremony as so sacred goes back to those deep roots in the Bible that anointing has, which go back to the anointing of Aaron as high priest and of the tabernacle. Later on, all the kings of Israel were anointed, as we hear from Samuel and kings. And it connects also to the expectation of the prophesied Messiah, whose very name as Christ speaks to one anointed. But at its heart, what makes this action so powerful in the coronation is its deep participation in the wider understanding of anointing, something that sets apart for a special purpose. This is also why, once anointed of God, British monarchs, the late Queen being a good example, see themselves as in an estate, in a form of being defined by God, to which they are bound in a lifelong commitment, be that life long or short and from which they therefore see it as wrong or falling short to step down, as it is for God ultimately to determine when they leave that sacred office of sovereign. To abdicate is to fall short of what the calling of monarch involves. And it is that very deep framing of the action of the coronation, of the office of monarch and sovereign, that gives so much depth to the ceremony and indeed the wider view and vision it articulates. Nothing less than the entire state and nation is placed by that ceremony within a deep metaphysical framing. It is thus caught up in a powerful vision of the nation, the sovereign and the state as all under God. And that in turn has a meaning that goes far beyond any individual king or monarch, for it speaks in the end to a wider vision of the human estate back again to that sense of our shared human calling. It was therefore no accident that for centuries, until this particular coronation, I have to say, for the first time, since I tracked back all the way to that of William and Mary, it was always the same epistle until this, coron this coronation, the lectionary, the epistle used in the coronation for the Eucharist, was exactly what the lectionary has given us by felicity today the epistle of First Peter. For God's intention is to anoint his entire church to make us all be, in the words of that epistle, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are called by God in Christ and set apart by his Holy Spirit. It is that perspective too which finds expression when during baptism, as we should recall, the new Christian is anointed with such words as you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. Consider the words being used here more closely again in the epistle. 
to be a holy hagios priesthood, where the Greek word hagios means holy or set apart for God. The tabernacle and temple were holy because they were the dwelling places of God. Sacrificial animals in the ancient Jewish religious economy were holy because they were set apart for God. Priests and Levites were holy because they were set apart for service in God's tabernacle and temple. Hence, when Peter tells the recipients of his letter, who were new Gentile Christians in what is now Turkey, that God has set them apart to be a holy priesthood, it's a dramatic statement. But the word hagios also means sinless or upright. And in this sense, to be holy is to be called out, to be set apart, to set ourselves apart from a sinful world into a deep and abiding relationship with God so that we each become more like and in accord with the will of God, something to be accomplished most fully in the life of the world to come. Then again, the word priesthood is laden with meaning. Priests of Israel were descendants of Aaron, charged with the responsibility for conducting the religious life of the Jewish nation, presiding over rituals that included sacrifices as required by the Torah, and thus they served as intermediary between God and the people. We should remember that God told Moses to speak to the Israelites, saying, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That same language. The phrase a kingdom of priests suggests there is a sense in which the nation of Israel constitutes a priesthood. And one way to understand what was meant by that is just as the priests were responsible for helping Israel to continue as a holy nation, so also God ordained the nation of Israel as a kingdom of priests, as it were to model holy living, to witness to Yahweh's glory, majesty and power, and to draw people from all nations ultimately into a saving relationship with Yahweh, which is precisely the role adumbrated that I have just pointed out as being the vocation of the church. But there is one last point to consider when thinking about the specific ceremonies of the coronation, which has many resources and riches to be explored. But this is in particular that while we often tend to think of vocation as all about following through a freely made choice, that's precisely not the situation of a king. That estate falls upon the recipient as a result of birth, not choice, save insofar as it would technically be possible to refuse to become king by putting oneself formally outside the line of succession by a deliberate act and declaration. And that's also part of why the office of sovereign anointed of God is special. In one sense, the, often, the office is often thought of in terms of privilege, but this involuntary aspect, whereupon it falls upon the recipient without his choice or her choice, brings home that ultimately it is based upon the surrender of the self to the higher good, in this case of the nation. And that again makes it a powerfully counter-cultural institution, defined by service and self-dedication, not by choice, and self-indulgence. This is not an act of self-realization.
Hence the underlying gravity of the act of the anointing and coronation, as it not only defines the life of the sovereign, but it also speaks in deep ways to the ideal architecture of society and a metaphysic of us all under God, in which our true understanding can be found in Christ, his church, and that way we are enabled to understand and live out our lives most fully in the world itself. Amen. Thank you.